Our Heavenly Father, as we kick off this Daniel series, um, God, we ask that our hearts would be open to you. Uh, Lord, would this be more than just a series? We ask that you would do a deep work in us. Every time we hear your word, uh, we want it to change us. We want it to do a deep work. Um, for it is your word that will endure, Lord. Um, and so would you make us into the image of Jesus through Matt? I ask that you would anoint him by your Holy Spirit, that you would give him confidence and courage uh, to speak your words as the scriptures encourage him to speak as an oracle, um, that it would be your words, Lord, that come through him to us. Uh, we love to hear your word, Lord. We know uh, that it is the way for us to become intimate and to know you more, uh, and that is our desire, God. Let us not walk away with uh, wonderful stories about Daniel, uh, but would our lives be changed and transformed that we may know you more. We love you, Lord, and commit ourselves to you. Amen. Okay. Right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I, I know you've been sitting for a little while, so I, I give you total permission to stand up just for 10 seconds and have a stretch. That's not it. Like, that doesn't mean we're going to be here for a long time. I just know that we have been sitting here for a little while already. Yeah. <laughs> Another round of coffee. No. Um, so, good morning, everybody. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Matt, one of the leaders here, and um, I'm really excited to be sharing with you this morning. Uh, we, we are starting uh, to preach through the book of Daniel, um, and I am very convinced that this is not a series of preachers just about interesting information. This is not about getting a history lesson. Um, this is not just getting some head knowledge. Um, I really believe that this book speaks powerfully into our world, powerfully to our politics, powerfully into socioeconomic things, powerfully into the craziness that seems to be going on all over the world at the moment. Um, and so I really believe that this is uh, an in-season book. I think it has meaning and application for us. Um, and so my message today, I think, is a simple one, um, and yet... I also believe that if it really sinks in, it has the ability to really transform and shape our lives and shape the way that we do things and, and see the world. So if you're a guest today, welcome. Uh, if you're not a believer, if you're not actively following Jesus, maybe you're here because you're just kind of interested in checking out what's going on. Maybe someone dragged you here um, against your will, whatever it is, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that this morning you'll find something helpful, maybe thought-provoking, um, and, and I, I know that the chances are really good that I'm going to say some things that are real sort of Christianese kind of language, um, and it's a little bit strange. Maybe you've got some questions, and I, I'd love to invite you afterwards if you want, if you have some questions or comments, really love to get a coffee with you, and we can sit and chat and just hear some of your, your questions and your thoughts and ideas, um, and maybe we can discuss those a little bit more. So, um, if there's some strange stuff here, feel free to let's close the loop afterwards. So we're going to jump right into Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. It should be up on the screen. If you want to look in your Bibles, it's in the Old Testament. And uh, here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, or Babylonia, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the commander, oh my goodness, Ashpenaz, maybe? Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, 
to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language, language of the Chaldeans. Right, there we go. What on earth is going on? Is it anyone? Right, so who, who is, is King Jehoiakim? And like we've, Jerusalem is supposed to be the city of God. And why is Nebuchadnezzar even attacking them? And he's taking stuff from the temple. And, and like what, what? And I'm sorry, but you've taken time out of your Sunday to come here. All the stuff going on in the week that you've just had. And why are we listening to a history lesson? Like, what has this got to do with anything? Anyone? Anyone? This is, this is, really, this is really weird. Um, but actually, I think that this has a lot to do with a lot. I don't want to say a lot to do with everything, but perhaps even a lot to do with everything. And so what I want to do is, I mean, if, if you were to pick up any book, say a trilogy, and you end up in book two, chapter 17, and you start reading, you've got no idea what's going on. Like, who are these characters? What is happening? Why is this even happening? It doesn't have much meaning. And so perhaps we could put a little bit of meaning in here. Maybe we know who Nebuchadnezzar is. Maybe you know what Jerusalem is about. Maybe you know about why a whole bunch of Israelites got hauled off into exile, but also maybe not. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try really quickly, this is hard, I'm going to give you a book review. I'm going to give you a summary of this whole thing in as short a time as possible. This is horrible. But, but what I want to do, and, and this, is, this is my first point, is I want to look at God's big story, right? This, this whole story. I want, I, want to, I want us to look at this and then to come back at Daniel and try to find, okay, where are we? What are we talking about? And so uh, I'm not actually going to read all of it, but if we were to go back to page one of the Bible, we see that God creates everything, and He has this creation, and, and He calls it good. It's a good creation, and he, and he makes humankind, and humankind is in right relationship with God, and it's in kind of this, this garden that's called Eden, right? It's all about flourishing and fulfillment and satisfaction. And so then we're introduced to this mysterious creature, no introduction, no where, where they're from, and, and just we, ha we have the serpent later on, we, we find out that this is Satan, it's the devil, and he's more crafty and cunning than all of the other created beings, and he tricks humankind into disobeying God. And so the whole of creation, not just humankind, but all of creation comes under this curse of sin, and so all of this good creation is fractured, it's broken. And some of us may look at creation and go, wow, this is beautiful. Anyone? Sunsets, mountains, ocean, right? There's some really good stuff. A good meal. I love me a good meal, right? I'm able to say, this is good. This is like, ah, I get some enjoyment and some pleasure out of this. But in everything, no matter what it is, in everything, there's a fracturedness about it. There's a, a twisting, a warping, a brokenness that's in it. And so we're in the strange place of a good creation that's kind of fractured and broken. And so praise God, He doesn't just leave it there. And so God is committed to humankind and His good creation to revealing Himself and trying to renew and to restore and bring things back to a place of flourishing. And so 
time goes on and he, and he has this, this man by the name of Abraham and God reveals himself to Abraham and he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says to Abraham that basically through all of your offspring, I want to bless all of creation. Genesis 12 verse 3 says, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Later on again in Genesis 22 verse 18, he's speaking to Abraham and he says, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And so we have this good creation that's come under the curse of sin. And what is God's heart? Is to bring the blessing. So we've got curses and blessings, and, and God wants to undo that curse, and He wants to bring blessing. And He's chosen Abraham and all of his offspring. And so eventually, all of his offspring have become this people called Israel. Israel are in slavery in Egypt. God rescues them out of slavery in Egypt, and He brings this whole nation to the foot of this huge mountain called Sinai. And in Exodus 19 verse 4, I think we might have it up on the screen, God speaks and He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I love that. I haven't just rescued you, I've brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Wow. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right? That sounds good. Sign me up for that. I want to be God's treasured possession. I want, I want to have God through me bring blessing to the world. And so God makes a covenant with the people that they should serve him only, and he gives them a land of their own. And this, this curse of sin remains, and they cannot get themselves free of it, and they rebel against God, and they bring, they bring all that fracturing and that brokenness into this land that God has for them. And so then God says, all right, we'll bring some kings into the story. The first king to rule over the nation of Israel is an absolute disaster. The second king God says, all right, David, I've got David. He's a man after my own heart. And so David does good. And actually, the kingdom of Israel flourishes under his care, under his reign, under his rule. And so God speaks through the prophet Samuel to this king David in chapter 7, verse 10 to 11. God says, I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Sign me up. Anyone not want to be disturbed anymore? <laughs> All the parents. Okay, right. <laughs> Blessing from the Lord. Sorry, sorry. Right, so, wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house to you. And he's speaking to David. He says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. No king has ever reigned forever. Right? This is sounding good for the people of Israel. Finally, a king to lead us 
forever. Bring us into that rest, into that prosperity, into that blessing. And so, so David lives in the city called the city of David, which becomes the city of Jerusalem. And it's a place where God says he will dwell, right? The temple is built. That's the place where God's very presence on earth can be found, right? You go to Jerusalem, that's where you go to find God. That's the city where God is. That's where the temple is. This is where the hope is. This is where God's blessing is. This is still a disaster because <laughs> David falls into adultery and murder and his son even worse. And the story just goes into this downward spiral again and again and again. And this curse of sin remains. Man. And so eventually, the nation of Israel fill the land with idolatry and injustice and bloodshed, and they're sacrificing their children to other gods. They consult spirits and mediums and the dead, and it's just getting wild. Eventually, we get to 2 Kings 21 verse 16, and it says that the king at the time, Manasseh, shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end with that blood. Like, this is, this is God's city. This is supposed to be where prosperity and blessing come, and this curse just remains, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And so God's been warning His people, turn away, follow me, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, centuries and centuries, and, the, and they reject the prophets. And then He says, guys, I'm going to send Babylon. Babylon is the big bad world superpower, right? I don't know who you think the big bad world superpower is at the moment. I don't know, China, America, Russia, I don't know. Take, take your pick, right? So this is the worst of the worst. These guys will decimate and have been decimating nations all over the known world. And God says, guys, I'm going to send them. Don't do this. And so eventually, God says, fine. And so Babylon come and attack Judah, Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem is now a vassal state, right? They live under the authority of Babylon. Babylon's kind of swallowed them up, and that's fine. We'll put in a little king. You kind of keep doing your thing, but you owe your allegiance to Babylon. And so after three years, eventually, this king, this puppet king at the time says, no, and he rejects Babylon and fights against Babylon. Not good. Not good. So Babylon then comes and besieges Jerusalem and wins. We take the day, right? Jerusalem, Overs Cadovers, and here we are, Daniel chapter 1. And so God gives Jerusalem over to Babylon. He lets them win. And they take a whole bunch of the best of the best out of Jerusalem, off into exile we go. And they set up another puppet king. And eight years later, the puppet king says, no, and basically, you know, says some nasty words and, and uh, gives Babylon the up yours kind of vibe. And so now Nebuchadnezzar's had enough. So after eight years, Nebuchadnezzar rocks up and now decimates Jerusalem. Absolutely tears everything down, burns everything down. There is nothing left. And 10,000 of her people who have survived, her best of her best, are hauled out and sent to exile to live in a foreign city as a minority people in an oppressive, dominant culture far away from anything they've ever known. This is God's chosen people. This is God's people who are supposed to be a blessing to all the nations. 
This is supposed to be the people where God's very own chosen king will be set up to reign for eternity. What is going on here? Can you imagine being one of those exiles, right? Put into chains and for months marched across the desert. I don't know how many people died along the way. And you get to this city with a foreign language, different clothes, different food, different everything. They give you new names, new rulers, right? Who's your king? Nebuchadnezzar is your king. Oh my goodness. What about God's promises? What about God's promises? And so we will shortly be introduced next week to Daniel and his friends. And so the question is, are they going to believe God's promises that they will be fulfilled? Is there still hope for them? My question for you, in all of these promises that we've seen, all of these promises, is God going to fulfill them? Do you believe that for you? Do you believe that God is at work? Do you believe that God is at work in this country? Do you believe that God is at work in Russia, China, the Middle East? Do you believe that? It's one of our favorite verses. You've maybe heard me say this. I'm going to say it again. John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I am working too. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that God's working to this very day, and that Jesus is working too? I think there's hope. God doesn't leave us alone. He didn't leave us, kick us out the garden and say, well, that's your choice. I'm out of here and leave us to our own devices. God, time and time and time again, enters into our brokenness, enters into our world, wants to enter in, knocking at the door. Invitation open. Are, are, you, are you going to let him in? And so what's surprising in this story of Israel and in, in our very lives is that our greatest enemy isn't who we think it is, right? Your greatest enemy is not Russia or America or take your pick. Your greatest enemy is not the dominant culture of the day or a political party. Your greatest enemy is not economic oppression. I believe that all of those potential enemies are actually as a result of something deeper, something greater, and this thing called sin and death. And I believe that the story of this Bible is God working to bring us back to a place of Eden, of satisfaction, of fulfillment, of creation made right and renewed again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. Thank you, Inga, for already reading it for us. I'm going to read a few verses. For in Him, Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself, what? All things to reconcile all things to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, everything brought back into right standing, right relationship with God again. We have this really strange few verses in Romans 8 where it says that even creation itself is waiting for the children of God to be revealed so that the creation can experience the freedom of the children of God. And so God's committed to His children 
God is committed to creation, to humankind, and one day we will enter into that renewal of all things, freedom of all things, and creation's going to be part of that as well. This is going back to a Genesis 1 saying, God's not going to leave it broken, Genesis 3. We're going to come back to that place. And so this is achieved, strangely enough, by Jesus Christ taking on the curse of sin unto Himself and dying on a Roman cross. He takes that curse of sin and becomes the curse for us and dies. But death has no mastery over Him. And so the New Testament makes this bizarre, crazy claim that Jesus rose again, that His creation-speaking voice breathes life, new life, resurrection life, and then makes the claim that we will all get to experience that resurrection life fully one day ourselves. And then Jesus commissions His followers, right? They're resurrection Jesus, new creation, right? So they know their Bibles. They're looking at Genesis saying, this is renewed creation, renewed life. God, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, no, that's not for you to know, but I tell you what, so you're going to receive power. I want you to go out, make disciples of all nations. I'll be back and, and disappears. <laughs> what? This, and okay, wait. So we have this commission to go out and be part of God's renewal of all things, this renewal life. Revelation 21, 22, it's the final scene in this book, like it's at the end. You know, they always say like, don't read the end, you're going to ruin the story. Read the end, because our story becomes amazing. We see a new heavens and a new earth, right? Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation, closing scene, new heavens, new earth. Oh, okay, so we've come full circle. And, and this new heavens, this heavenly city, this heavenly Jerusalem is coming down to earth. And God will be with His people forever. And there's this river flowing through the center and fruit-bearing trees everywhere. And God's sustaining His people. No death, no crying. This, it's like, brings tears to, well, my eyes at least. I'm hoping our eyes. This is all things made right again. This, this final chapter, this is the trajectory. This is where the story is going. This is what God is doing in this crazy world. All these promises will be made complete. They will come to fulfillment. This is what God is doing. Now, if that's all you take away from this morning, I think it's worth it, right? We could just close here. Jesus, help us to live in this, right? Help me to believe this this is good. And so if your brain is full and you want to tap out, you have my permission. But if you have space in your brain and in your heart for a little bit more, that's point one. My next points are real quick. Okay, there's just, just, just a few more things. Okay, so, so Jerusalem, Daniel chapter one, what is going on? Okay, wait, stand back. Whole picture. Creation gone wrong, God working, Jesus giving us a commission, renewal of all things, gonna happen at the end. Wow, God, you're at work. Second point, this is sometimes a surprising story. And so we have Daniel 
Babylon, world superpower, evil, corrupt, oppressive, death, all over the place. This is horrible. Let's read Jeremiah 24. So there's two major prophets in the Bible speaking into this Babylon exile kind of space. Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Go read those guys in light of Babylon. Wow. Tell you what? Wow. Difficult read, but there's some, there's some amazing stuff there. So Jeremiah 24. This is a big one. It's a long one, so we'll put it up on the screen. So remember, we've just read Daniel chapter, 20, uh, Daniel chapter 1. So Jeremiah 24. After Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, cool names, just saying, if anyone, right? King of Judah and the officials, the skilled workers, the artisans of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The Lord showed me, Jeremiah, two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like those that ripen early. The other basket had very bad figs so that they could not be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs, I answered. The good ones are very good, but the bad ones are so bad that they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. But like the bad figs, which are so bad that they cannot be eaten, says the Lord, so I will deal with Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Remember, we've got these wicked and evil kings. His officials and the survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt, I will make them abhorrent and an offense to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, a curse and an object of ridicule wherever I banish them. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave them and their ancestors. Okay, things got real <laughs> intense pretty quickly. I, I, I want us to take notes of something. Babylon, the big bad Babylon, right? Especially if you like the book of Revelation, Babylon's the bad guy, right? We're talking evil of note. And God sends the exiles into Babylon, and He says, you guys are the good figs. What? You're going to go off into that oppressive, dangerous, wicked, terrible, horrifying, strange, weird place, because I'm going to turn my eyes to you for good. I'm going to plant you there. I'm going, to, I'm going to teach you who I am. You're going to know me. You're going to know me. This, for me, is, is mind-blowing. So David Helm writes a book about the book of Daniel. And David Helm says, In the book of Daniel, then, it's the exiles in Babylon who are truly to be counted as God's blessed people. And to be asked to live in Babylon as Daniel was, was to find oneself at the center of God's positive mission to the world. Anyone got something stirring inside of them? Because I'm going to explode up here. <laughs> guys, guys, God's on a mission. What's, what's, what's the big story? What's the overview? Right? And we enter into Daniel and, and God's on a mission. God's on a mission. 
to work and bring things to rights. I, I love Psalm 87 verse 4. It's this little one-liner, right? Psalm 87 is this poem about God bringing salvation to all people, and it's this wonderful sort of perfect city where God is known. And then he says in verse 4, I will record Egypt and Babylon amongst those who acknowledge me. Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. That's the city of God. These nations that have been listed here, these are the worst enemies of Israel. And God says, they're going to be in my city. They're going to be considered to have been born in my city, to know God, be citizens of God's city. Babylon, Babylon, oh my goodness, as this changes the book of Daniel for us, because God's admission, not, not just to work in the nation of Israel, He's on a mission to work in the people who are in Babylon as well. To continue with David Helm, this book shows that God intends to do more than merely judge an ungodly nation. Instead, He offers a saving word to those under his deserved anger. A saving word to those under his deserved anger. And for that, he will need his people dwelling there. They will need to be at home in Babylon, revealing God's king and kingdom in ways that ultimately find their fulfillment in Christ. Surprise. <laughs> Surpri I was surprised. I was surprised. And that's, that's my second point. Sometimes things are going down and they're not going down the way we want it. And things are hard and things are tough. And it feels like, I don't know who's king, but it doesn't look like God's king. Right? Look around. Look, read the news. Does it look like God is king? Very often not. Oh, but he's at work. Oh, he's at work. Third point. Let's find our story within God's story. I don't know where you're at now. I don't know how work is going. I don't know how family is going. I don't know how your health is going, what you're wrestling with. Things are maybe rocking and rolling. Maybe things are just meh. Maybe things are terrible. Maybe things are hard. Is God at work? Do you fit into God's big story? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And so, your story might end up being in a place of, yay, Israel's doing really well. My life's doing really well. Things are easy. Or you might end up in a place of oppression and hardship and difficulty and everything in between. Is God at work? Yes, He is. Is God king? Yes, He is. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Right? We are a people who believe that God is king. And we live in a world full of people who do not believe God is king, that someone else is king. And so Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, I hope I pronounced those right, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. As Christians, we live in a different kingdom. We belong to a different kingdom, but we live in a world who believes that there is a different kingdom. There is a different king. And so ultimately, 
as Christians, as believers, as people who've put our faith in Jesus, our allegiance to Jesus, we're living as exiles, not really belonging to these systems, but giving our allegiance to the true King. Is your business flourishing? God is King. Is your business struggling? God is King. Your family is fill in the blank. No, no, God is King. My sexuality is fill in the blank. God is King. My bank account, God is King. And so I have a hard question. A question, honestly, comes from a place of love. And I want to say it's a place of humility as well because I ask myself the question, is there any space in my life where I need to swear allegiance to my king? Am I serving a different king in this area, that area? Am I willing to lay that down? It's worth it. It's worth it. You know what? Sometimes you feel like, if I give this over, I'm going to die. Yep. Jesus Christ died for you and I, and He calls us to die to ourselves and our own desires. But you know what? There's resurrection life. You're going to die, but there's going to be resurrection life. That is what God promises. And so... We've got God's big story, and sometimes there's surprising little stories inside of there. And I, I want to encourage us to find our story within God's bigger story. And then finally, let's quickly talk about Liberty's story within God's big story. Right? There's many of us who have a sense that God is doing something in this wonderful local congregation. God's doing something. He's stirring. He's moving. Some of us can't quite say, what is it? Some of us are saying, oh, definitely it's this for sure. Okay, but let's stand back. What's God doing across the whole story? And is liberty going to be a part of that? Are you going to be a part of that? So what has is, what is Jesus told us to do? It's a lot of things that Jesus told us to do. But, but Jesus summarized it like this. And he says, ultimately, all of this comes down to two things. Love God and love people. Okay, so how am I going to do that? Go make disciples. Really? We're going to do that by making disciples? Yes, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded you to do. I was kind of hoping Philip was going to be here this morning. I don't see it. No, no, Philip. Right, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. When he read this one day, I remember his eyes sparkling, like he got excited. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? And this is where Philip is great because he knows the original Greek and the whatever. He says, you know, in that original language, it just says, if anyone is in Christ, new. That's what it says in the original language. New. You're in Christ. It's new. It's new creation. So remember, Genesis 1, we've got creation, good, fallen. At the end, we've got new creation, heavens and earth. Jesus says, you are in me. New creation. There's new creation moments. And we teach everyone to follow Jesus and obey Jesus, and we get to bring new creation into all the places that we go. Aini had this picture, and I remember it stuck with me, um, and I, I think it's quite a biblical picture, actually, but a, a picture of a tree with many branches. And for us specifically as Liberty, all these little branches going off, one big tree of this local body 
of liberty with all these branches producing fruit and reaching into their different places. And there's something in me that's burning. I, I, it is my desire that we see each person here in liberty going off your branch producing fruit into your world. Right? You don't need to wait for Glenn to organize something so that we all get behind it and do the thing. Right? If you have a heart for people to know Jesus, pray about it. Submit it to God. If God's opening doors, go do it. Go do it. Go share the good news of Jesus. If you have a heart to see brokenness in poverty get dealt with and to make things right in those communities who are suckling, pray about it. What's God saying to you? If, if that's what He wants, go, go do it. Go do it. Whatever it is, helping people raise children, helping single moms, they need help. Right? Whatever it is, what's God saying to you? Is that part of renewing things gone wrong? Yeah, go for it. Get stuck in. Go do it. Go do it. Do you see a need for people to be strengthened in the faith? Do you see a need for people to be part of life groups that are flourishing? Is God calling you to do that? Is He calling you to put your hand up? Go do it. Because I think it's part of God's big story. And it doesn't have to be, wait, I'm going to wait for the pastor to say the thing and I'm going to arrive and I'm going to, you know, go, go do your thing. If that's what God's calling you to do, go do it and be part of God's renewing of all things. And so that's, that's me. Four verses from Daniel, we've, we've barely even jumped in, but I hope that it gives us this framework, this perspective. What's God doing? He's at work, guys. He's always at work, and we can trust in that. And so my heart and my prayer, maybe there's opportunity for us to spend a few minutes in prayer. Perhaps you have been considering this God, this story, and there's something in you that's like burning. Jesus wants to bring new creation into your life and set you free from this curse of sin and brokenness. And perhaps it's the very first time where you're saying, God, I want to experience that life and freedom. I give up. I give over. I accept Jesus' death and resurrection on my behalf. If that's you, there's not a lot that you need to do. It's to believe that, to accept that. And there's new resurrection life there. Oh, and by the way, you have to give your whole life to God. There's a lot you need to do, but not much. It's free. It's free. No sign up, no here's your bank account, none of that. This is between you and God. Maybe you need faith for a tough time that you're facing. Maybe you need to say, God, I can't, I can't see you at work here. Help me. Help me. Maybe even to ask the people around you. I, I need faith. I, need a, I can't see how the promises of God are going to be fulfilled here. Please pray with me. Maybe, and this is the third and final group, maybe you are excited. You have the sense of God's at work and I want to be part of this. I want to get stuck in. Maybe you can ask the people around you to pray for you. Maybe it's just you and God. I don't know what it is, but it's an opportunity just to say, God, show me. I want to be part of your renewal plan, right? Jesus is re restoring all things to himself, reconciling all things to himself. I want to be part of it. I want to be part of it. And so let's pray.
Father, for my friends and family here, maybe, maybe guests as well, God, we commit these prayers to you. Prayers for new resurrection life for the first time. Prayers for, God, help me. I don't know how you are going to do your work here. It seems impossible. I'm dying here, God. God, would you encourage, strengthen, bring faith and bring hope. Lord, for people who are wanting to go out there, God, would you commission them? Would you empower them by your Spirit, whom you've promised, you've given to us as a gift to get out there and do the impossible. The impossible that we cannot do, but you can. This is recreation moments, renewal moments. We can't, but you can. God, would you empower us, please, to do that? We want to recommit our allegiance to you as king. In a world that serves many other kings and that participates with many other kingdoms, God, we remind ourselves afresh that we're part of your kingdom and that you are at work and that in the end it's your kingdom that will remain for eternity with a king in that kingdom for eternity. And there we will find blessing and peace. So we place our trust in you, God. We love you. Please speak to us. Speak to us in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead, through this wonderful book of Daniel, through your scriptures. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit, by your grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.